this week on Hope for the Broken. You know, the relationship that you build with your spouse ought to be like David and Michaela. That's God's design. It's to be the same with your family, that you work to build such a bond amongst each other that there is no external force that can threaten it. Listen, our society longs for these kinds of relationships. This is why we desperately need the church. Those are the places where you're gonna most likely find and build relationships that will be a blessing to you. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming home found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Life Lessons. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part 17 titled, The Best of Friends. Well, listen, we are in part two, the second installment of a teaching series that we've called Life Lessons. We began first this teaching series in January of 2023. We took a back, we took a break, and then we picked it back up in January of this year. And so we are working our way, studying the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me there to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to dive into chapter 18, 19, and 20. Some of you are like, uh, I was hoping to go to lunch today. Um, I promise. It's, it's, it's one long story. We're going to recap the story. I'm going to get you out of here uh, on time, what I consider to be on time anyway. And uh, we'll just have a great time together. But so far in this second installment, we've taken a look at the epic story of David and Goliath. We took a look at the deep friendship that God formed between David and Jonathan. Last week, Pastor Jeff did a great job of talking to us about the dangers of jealousy by looking at Saul's jealousy of David. Today, we continue in a message that I've entitled, The Best of Friends. The Best of Friends. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to kind of hit the highlights of the story. And I want to invite you to kind of just follow along as in your copy of God's Word there. We're going to pull out a couple of verses because they give us clear insight as to what's going on here. But for, for the most part, I'm going to just kind of retell the story of what's happening here. And then I want to look at two life lessons that we learned from this portion of First Samuel. Okay, here we go. After David's great victory over the giant named Goliath, David forms this incredible friendship with a young man named Jonathan. And their friendship is a biblical model for us to follow in our lives. And God knew that David was going to need a friend. And the reason why he's going to need a friend is because David is going to go from obscure shepherd boy to national hero. And along with that is going to come a lot of fame, but it's going to also come a lot of envy. And that, that God knew in his sovereignty that, that David was going to need somebody to be able to help him navigate those kinds of roads. Well, when people started singing praises about King Saul, guess what happened? He became very jealous, envious of David. They're singing more about David than they are about me. This story makes days of our lives look tame, right? I mean, this is as the world turns. And with all the celebrating of the victories... King Saul kept hearing about David and all of his successes. 
and he feared David's popularity. To put it in modern day vernacular, David's approval ratings were soaring. Saul's were on the decline. And Saul felt threatened, fearful of David. David was clearly becoming the threat to Saul's throne. And we know by this point, because of the previous chapters, that David is already the anointed next king of Israel. But Saul doesn't like it. And so he tries his best to take matters into his own plan and to thwart God's plan. And he devises a plan to have David killed. Now, if you remember, as a part of the story of David and Goliath, one of the rewards for defeating the giant was marriage to the king's daughter. And so Saul offers his oldest daughter to David for marriage. But this offering was actually a manipulation because Saul put another condition on marrying his daughter, as if slaying the giant, becoming a national hero wasn't enough. And so he says to David, you got to continue in battle against the Philistines. And we see Saul's motive in putting this condition on the marriage of his daughter in verse 17 of chapter 18. And it says this, then Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife only. In other words, here's the condition. Be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, in other words, his real motive, let not my hand be against David, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. In other words, I'm going to put him in a position where I don't kill him, but he gets killed in battle. But Saul then changes his mind and he gives Merib to another man. This is when we learn that Saul's other daughter named Michal was very fond of David. She loved David. So Saul shifted his plan. Same motive, but he gave Michal to David as a wife. But he put another condition on this offering as well. He says, I'll give you Michal in marriage if and only if you do something for me. Now, Saul asked this really odd request. He says, I want you to bring me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Now, there's not a lot that's beneath me. But if I'm given that task, I'm out, right? Like I, I want nothing to do with that, right? And so, so, but David must have really loved Michal. And, and Saul gave him that task because he believed that the, the attempting of that task would do what? Would lead to his death. And so, so Saul gives him that, but guess what? David's an overachiever. He loved Michal. He brought back 200, right? And Saul's jealousy and his envy ultimately took over, and it led him down the road to a mental breakdown, a very dark path that ended in attempted murder. That's the end of chapter 18. Chapter 19 begins with Saul laying out his plan to kill David to his son, Jonathan. Now remember, David and Jonathan, they're the best of friends. So what does Jonathan do? Jonathan goes to David and says, hey, listen, my father's got a plan to take your life. You need to hide. Let me go to my dad and try to work this situation out. See, Jonathan wanted to see reconciliation happen between Saul and David. Whatever the issue is here, surely we can work on this, right? Surely we could better the situation. So Jonathan pleaded to his dad, dad, David's done great things for our nation. Please let it go, right? Swallow your pride and let it go. And guess what Saul did? Saul agreed. He said, you know what, Jonathan, my son, you're correct. 
And I promise you that David will not be killed. Everything was good from that point until more war broke out. More war always led to David being celebrated. Because David, the Lord saw to it, was extremely successful in battle over the Philistines. And as a result, the green-eyed monster of envy roared its ugly head in Saul's heart again. And Saul broke down again mentally and was needing David's assistance to soothe his heart, to soothe his soul, to soothe his mind. And so David began playing the lyre because it was believed in that day that it would soothe anxiety. And Saul, Saul uh, was, was enjoying David's playing. Now David, David's the dude that has it all, right? You ever know anybody like this? He's not only famous, he's good looking, and he's a good musician, right? You ever know anybody that seems they could do anything? I remember when I was in college, uh, me and my roommate, uh, his last name was Murph, so we just called each other Murph and Wiggs. And my roommate in college and I, we liked the same girl. And we went on this ski trip, and, and our agreement between each other, we were like, may the best man win, right? That's the way we, that's the way we approach it. But then, so we get on this ski trip, and I'm like, hey, Murph, what we really need is trail maps. Can you go get trail maps? And he goes, yeah, I'll go get trail maps. And I position myself to be on the lift with just me and her, right? And so he's riding behind us like, man, I can't believe you did that to me. Well, then that night, Murph is a talented musician. I mean, completely talented. He's sitting around the campfire. He's playing worship songs on his guitar. And he does this whole deal like, y'all, y'all recommend a song and he could play it like to, to perfection. And I'm like going, oh man, I'm going to punch your lights out. Right. Murph was that guy, right? He was uber talented. He wound up winning her heart, whatever. Uh, I'm not over. I'm not just, I'm not bitter. I'm just saying. And so, uh, David, David is that guy. And Saul gets infuriated by David. I mean, everything this guy does is incredible. So in his mental breakdown, Saul takes his spear and he hurls it at David while David's playing the lyre trying to help him out. David dodges it and exits stage right, and he goes home. The next morning, his wife, Mikhail, says, hey, listen, David, my dad's got a new plan to kill you. You need to sneak out the window, and I'll cover for you. And so she helped David sneak out. the. I'm telling you, days of our lives, right? She helps David sneak out the window, and then she puts pillows underneath on the bed and covers them up with the covers so that it looks like David's in the bed. And when Saul's soldiers came by to, to do what they were tasked to do, they found out that David had actually left. And guess what? Saul was upset with his daughter because she, in his view, betrayed him. David, at this point, is running for his life, and so he says, you know what? I got to go talk to Samuel. Samuel's the one that has a great relationship with the Lord. Samuel's the one that has anointed me, the next king of Israel. I need to go visit uh, Samuel. So he goes to a place called Ramah, where Samuel is at. Well, intelligence in King Saul's uh, kingdom tells him that that's where David is. And so he himself sets out on a journey to Ramah. And he finds Samuel, and he finds David. And so David takes off again because he fears for his life. That's the end of chapter 19. Chapter 20, David runs and he meets up with his good buddy Jonathan, right? And Jonathan uh, is, is, is listening to David lay out his case. Listen, your dad is against me. You told me that your dad is no longer against me, but, but he's now against me. He's trying to find me. And Jonathan's like, no, 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 no. My dad said that he would never 
kill you. And so he's not against you. And David said, I'm telling you, he's against you. And so they devised this plan to unfold, to, to learn of Saul's plot here, his real intentions. The next day, and by the way, Jonathan says, David, whatever it takes, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. I made a covenant to you, and I'm going to see to, to it that I make good on that covenant. The next day was what was called the, the beginning of the New Moon Festival. This was a series of days that would have required David's attendance at several different festivities. But David was fearful. If I go to this, Saul's already come after me all the way to Ramah. In close proximity to him, he's going to take my life at this festival. So Jonathan covers for David. He says, listen, I want you to go run and hide. And if my dad asks where you are, I'll tell him that I granted you vacation to enjoy and celebrate with your family back home. And so they agreed to, to this. If David is right, if Saul is after him, then Saul will be infuriated that David isn't at these events. But if Saul has let it go, then he won't say anything. That was their thought. So Jonathan agrees to the plan. David goes and hides. Now, the, the key word, there was a key word that Jonathan was going to communicate to David. If he, he was going to shoot an arrow close by to where David was hiding, and if he shot it right at the target next to him, then he was going to say to the arrow boy that went out to get him, the arrow is by you. That was code word for it's clear, coast clear, come back as usual. But if he shot the arrow beyond him and the boy ran out, David was going to yell, the arrow is beyond you. That was code word for David needing to flee. And so they do this. The first day of the new moon festival, David's not there. Saul doesn't even ask any questions. Seems copacetic. Seems like things are going okay. But then the second day, Saul asks, where's David? And Jonathan tells him, oh, I granted him vacation. He's with his family in his hometown, Bethlehem. And guess what Saul's response to that was? He became extremely mad. And he divulged. He, in his anger, spews out his intentions. Chapter 20, verses 31 through 33, Saul says, for as long as the son of Jesse lives, so in other words, as long as David lives, on the earth, neither you, Jonathan, nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And then Jonathan, David's good friend, says, Dad, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, his son, to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Now, at this point in the story, the plot thickens. What is Jonathan going to do? He's kind of in a pickle here, right? What situation, what tough situation does Jonathan find himself in? Well, is he going to remain true to his promise to David and tell him everything? Or is he going to be obedient to his dad? The Bible, on one hand, says that he is to honor his father and mother, right? But yet the Bible also teaches that you're to honor your covenants, a covenant that he made with David. What is Jonathan going to do? If Jonathan tells David the truth, then guess what? Most likely he'll never see David again because David will have to run for the rest of his life. But if Jonathan remains true to his dad, 
and not to his friendship with David, well, then David most likely is killed, and Jonathan knows the end of the story here. So what is Jonathan to do? Well, Jonathan gets up the next morning, he shoots arrows just like their plan, uh, and he shot arrows beyond, and he shouts to the boy, the arrow is beyond you. That's the code word. David, you're in trouble. So he winds up being true to his covenant relationship, his friendship with David. When the boy runs and he collects the arrows and he brings them back to Jonathan, Jonathan says, hey, take the arrows, take this, my bow, take it back to the city and hang it up. And while he goes, Jonathan's like, you know what? I got to say a farewell to my good buddy, David. And so he goes and he visited with David. It was a sad moment. They said goodbye. Dreams of working together, hanging out together, being there for one another, it all came crashing to an end. Sad. But never fear, Michael W. Smith was in the background playing friends are friends forever, right? If the Lord's the Lord of them. Some of you are like, what is Pastor Chris talking about? That's because you're under the age of 40, right? You don't know who Michael W. Smith is. You need to Google it. Friends are friends forever. You'll laugh about it in a moment, right? So this begins what then is decades of of David running from Saul. And we're going to examine each of those in our study, but that's where we're going to end here for today. And what I want to do is in light of this story, I want to share with you two life lessons that we learn from this section of 1 Samuel. First, we can trust God's sovereignty. One thing that I believe that the church of Jesus Christ needs today more than anything else is to learn to trust God. I'll tell you why in just a moment. But the one thing that we see played out throughout this entire study, uh, story, but also throughout the entire scriptures, is God's sovereign plan coming to fruition. Now, I know some of you may say, what does the word sovereign mean? Maybe that's a new theological word for you. Whenever I mention and talk about God being sovereign, I'm talking about how God rules and coordinates all aspects of the universe. One of the popular verses that supports the sovereignty of God in the New Testament is Romans 8.28. It says that God works all things, the good and the bad, together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? God can coordinate even the evil things that happen in our lives and leverage them to accomplish his, op- his, his ultimate will. He could take the good things that happen in our lives and accomplish his will. God is sovereign and he will enact his plan. That's what I mean. We can trust that God is working his plan. Now, did David have to use some common sense? Yes, he did. He didn't just leave it up to happenstance, right? He used the brain God gave him and he ran and he hid and he devised plans to to unfold these things. But ultimately, what we see on this is God's hand on the entire situation. Because here's the truth. David was going to be king. And there was nothing that Saul could do to thwart that plan from happening. And it was God who developed the friendship between David and Jonathan. And it was God who coordinated the events that led to David and Michal being married. And it was God that revealed to them those, those, in those relationships the plan of Saul, the evil plan of Saul. You see the sovereignty of God. Y'all following me on that? 
All right. David was going to be the next king. Saul couldn't change it. David trusted the plan. Jonathan trusted the plan. And they waited on God's timing. It'd be decades of, of David running from Saul. And I'm sure this had to be hard for David, don't you think? God, you've anointed me the next king, but I have to risk it in battle? Trust God's sovereign plan. Lord, being in close proximity to Saul makes it extremely dangerous for me. Trust God's sovereign plan. God, I'm hiding. I'm on the run. I don't understand. What am I to do next? Trust God's plan. But Lord, how long am I to trust your plan? Trust God's sovereign plan. Waiting on the Lord is often hard for us, isn't it? I know it is for me. I have a tendency in those moments to try to take the bull by the horns and to make something happen in my own life. But here's the thing that I've learned. When I do, I usually make it, wind up making a mistake. It is far better to wait and wonder for God's plan to come into fruition than it is to take matters into our own hands. I've also found it difficult because whenever I'm waiting on God, I'm looking around at my friends and the people around me, and God seems to be working, but radio silence to me, it seems like. Trust God's plan. Trust his timing. And listen, God has proven to be faithful, has he not? Time and time again, we read accounts in the scriptures of God remaining true and faithful. I want to teach you about the principle that we see playing out here called reverse returns. Reverse returns is a biblical principle that is repeated often in the pages of the scriptures. Reverse returns. King Saul's attempts to rid David only furthered David's success. That's reverse returns. Why? Because God's sovereign plan was going to come to fruition. King Saul thought, I'm going to put David in battle. He'll die in battle. But instead, David was victorious. Reverse returns. I'll give my daughter in marriage, and she'll help me squelch his life. Only she helped him to escape. Reverse returns. The same is true with Jonathan. Here's the deal. The Bible is full of examples of reverse returns. Let me, let me give you some highlights. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, right? And he winds up in Egypt, but it's reverse returns. Why? Because he ultimately becomes the second in command in Egypt, and it was God's way of providing for the nation of Israel when drought and famine struck the land. Reverse returns. Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh? Moses came to uh, Pharaoh and said, uh, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He sent a series of plagues. And the more Pharaoh resisted, the more God saw to it that his plan was going to be enacted. Reverse returns. What about Daniel? Remember Daniel was captured in the Babylonian captivity, was forced to serve under King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and in his training days, he and his friends refused to eat the food that were sacrificed to idols. And remember his commander that was over them was nervous that they were going to look malnourished. But what happened? They wound up being better and stronger than all the other men. Reverse returns. The ultimate display of reverse returns is Jesus. Though he was innocent, 
He was opposed by many, which ultimately led to his crucifixion. But it's by way of his death on the cross that he demonstrated power over sin, over death, over the grave by rising again on the third day. See, instead of preventing Jesus from accomplishing his mission, those people that crucify him actually provided the means by which he accomplished his mission. Reverse returns. You follow me? The Bible is full of reverse returns. Let me give you another example of reverse returns, a more contemporary maybe model. Remember the early church? They were being persecuted. And the persecution was so severe that they had to flee. They had to disperse. And many thought this will kill the church. If the church can't meet together, then the church will die. Right? But, but what happened? Those people that spread all over the known world, what did they do? They took the gospel with them. And wherever they went, they started new churches. And more people came to saving faith in Jesus. And Christianity spread like wildfire. The persecution meant to squelch the church is the very thing that provided its advancement. Reverse returns. I remember in COVID, 2020, hit no one in this room. And we thought, what's going to happen to the church? And the church has responded in ultimate victory. See, Even the things that seem to be stacked against us are not to be feared, beloved. They're going to be used to accomplish God's sovereign plan. We live in a day where it is so easy to get discouraged by the downward spiral of our culture, even the hostility to the Christian faith. If you haven't run into hostility of your faith, it's going to happen at some point. The wicked seem to prosper in our society, and the godly get canceled. But listen, God is working his sovereign plan. We could trust it. The ultimate plan of God, we sing about it, is for Christ to return, for Jesus to come again. And when he comes, he's going to have the ultimate victory. He's going to make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. And when he does... There will be no presence of sin anymore. No corruption of sin in our lives. That's God's plan, and we can trust that plan. And no matter what we face, it will only serve to advance the kingdom of God. It's like the deck deck is stacked in our favor. Isn't that encouraging? It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what you go through. God is working, ultimately, for the advancement of his plan. Reverse returns, work to accomplish God's sovereign plan. You and I can trust it, we can rest on it, and we can find peace in that. That's the first life lesson we learn here. The second life lesson is that biblical friendships are a blessing. Biblical friendships are a blessing. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how God wires us for relationships. And that every relationship in our life does one of two things. Either it helps spur us on towards love and good deeds, towards spiritual growth in Christ, or it leads us away. And it is so vitally important that we as followers of Jesus surround ourselves with people who are moving in the same direction. People who are encouraging our walk with Christ. And biblical friendships are important 
because they wind up being tremendous blessings when we need them the most. We see that in David's case. David developed godly relationships between Jonathan and between his wife, Michal. And we see in the relationships of 1 Samuel a contrast between what is a biblical relationship and what is unbiblical. Jonathan and Michal were biblical friends of of David. Saul was not. I want to show you a comparison and contrast slide between godly friendships and friendships that seek only to destroy us. For David, Jonathan, and Michal, they looked out for one another. Jonathan urged reconciliation between David and his dad. You know, we live in a society that wants to lead to to separating relationships. No, we ought to be people that seek reconciliation. In fact, the scripture calls us ministers of reconciliation. Jonathan demonstrated integrity by remaining true to his word, even when it cost him his relationship with his dad. And when they were forced to depart from one another, Jonathan felt very deeply for David. See, that's the blessing of biblical friendships. But contrast that with Saul. King Saul was deceptive, manipulating others to to try to accomplish his plan. He demonstrated a lack of integrity by going back on his word. And as a result, Saul was isolated and he was a perplexed individual. Do you know people that fit these two categories? They're people that you encounter in your workplace. People you encounter in extracurricular activities. People fit in one of these two categories. But here's the deal. We must seek, find, and develop godly relationships. Why? Because it's those that are a blessing to us. If we seek to develop the other kind of relationship, we will only be served to be manipulated and exploited and uh, have a a knife stuck in your back. See, the world is full of Saul's, but what we need is true biblical friendships. You know, the relationship that you build with your spouse ought to be like David and Michal looking out for one another, supporting one another, being loyal to one another. That's God's design for marriage in your life. It's to be the same with your family, that you work to build such a bond amongst each other that there is no external force that can threaten it. That's the, the biblical desire. That's God's desire for your life. And you only develop that when you're intentional with it, when you develop it. Listen, our society longs for these kinds of relationships. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but this is why we desperately need the church. It's in the church. Are we all sinners? Yes and amen, right? Will we disappoint one another? Probably. But it's in the church that we're seeking to strive to be more like Christ. Those are the places where you're going to most likely find and build relationships that will be a blessing to you. If you're not involved in a small group, I know I've said it before, but I really mean it. You need to be involved in a small group. Small group is a blessing to friends that surround you, that love you, that carry you when you need them. Church family, we have to put in the hard work of developing these kinds of relationships. They don't just happen. 
You have to be intentional. So, two life lessons. Trust God's sovereign plan. And number two, biblical relationships are a blessing. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.